Welcome to the Best of Ventures Dialogue Radio Season 2. I am your host, SM Gaines, and let me tell you something. I am so humbled and grateful for all of you who tuned in to listen to me in 2022. Can you believe we did two seasons last year? Insanity, I tell you. The Best of Ventures Dialogue Radio Season 3 will follow right after this episode. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you want to donate to the channel, the link is in the description box and I thank you in advance for your support. Now let's get to it. In episode one, my good friend Wendell Fant came by to help me kick off the season. We talk about finance, investments, and so much more. And guys, GoFundMe is not a life insurance. Check this out. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Can you please explain to the audience why it is so important for them to take out life insurance? Because GoFundMe mm-hmm. is absolutely not life insurance. I can't tell you how many sad stories I hear about people who they all of a sudden they die young and they're not prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the top of the world. They have no life insurance. They have no estate. So can you please explain um, to the audience why they should take out life insurance? Like, what are the steps? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so first, the, uh, the reason why you want to do it is because we know our birth date, but we don't know our death date. Right. And, and you know, we've, we've all had some friends to, you know, we think that left here too soon. Mm-hmm. for a number of reasons, right? And then especially with COVID. Um, so the reason you want to do it is to protect your family. So if you're living, if, you know, if it took two house, if it took two incomes to run that household and now one of those incomes, you know, is gone, what happens to the family, right? So they get uprooted, have to potentially go move back in with family members or move back to a, or move to a place where they're not familiar and not comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, so all, all kind of uh, bad things can happen if you don't have it. Life insurance protects you if you don't make it, right? If you don't get to a position where the kids are grown, the bills are paid, you know, and you know, you're, you're empty nesters now, right? So, so you don't have all those things. So insurance will, will help you protect that. Everybody's dollar amount is going to be different. A rule of thumb is seven to 10 times your income. Mm, Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So rule of thumb. And, and so once, once we establish that, right. So we will look at, you know, the debt that you have and, you know, what you're looking to accomplish or what you want to make sure it happens in the event of your untimely death. And so it protects you until, you know, we get that investment part going, right? And, and if we get that investment, let's, uh, let's just say that we've got a, um, a policy for $300,000. Mm-hmm. And this is going to uh, go back into the investment side, but we'll, we'll come back on the insurance side. If we can get you to a point where you've invested for years and now you have $300,000, you've become self-insured, you know, now you really don't need that life insurance policy. Right. Because we mm. want to help you get uh, become self-insured again. Life insurance protects you in case you don't make it. Now, but- with with the investment, say I invest like I have three hundred thousand. I've been investing with your company and with in life insurance for years mm-hmm. and something happens, an emergency happens. Would I be able to use some of that life insurance money to borrow against it? Is that something that consumers can do? Okay. So, so several types of insurance, uh, and I'm going to be general here because uh, Mm -hmm. again, you know, we need to look at each policy. If it's a cash value type policy. Yes. If it's a term, um, no, with the exception of if you have a terminal illness, right? So then there, Mm -hmm. there would be a portion that 
the individual could use from that life insurance and wouldn't have to pay it back or anything, right? For, for a whole or cash value type policies, you can borrow from that policy, the cash value portion, right? But there's, and this is going to be a general statement because again, you know, each policy is different. And so mm-hmm. we won't know. And, and I only sell term. And the reason why is because uh, $200,000 worth of life insurance, whether it's whole or term, is going to pay $200,000. Okay. Right now, by term, you mean I'm sorry, I'm so uneducated when it comes to insurance. <laughs> yeah, term is like the life of the policy. Is that what that means? Right, so term is for a specific amount of time you got 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, right? So, okay, do my five timetables, right? <laughs> so, it, yeah, so you can buy in increments of, of up to uh, you know, five years. You know, um, so so that's that's for a limited amount of time. Yes, I know. Like with my job, they provide a certain amount of life insurance, right? But they also let us have an option of purchasing more life insurance on the job. Is mm-hmm. that something that I should do? Like have extra money come out of my check um, to add to my life insurance, or should I just get what take what the um, my employer offers me then get more life insurance on the side on my own. What do you think, what would you advise is the best thing to do? I would advise only get what they give you for free. And here's why. Again, you know, uh, we need that standard operation uh, procedure to see wh- exactly what that plan looks like, that, that group life policy. But generally it works like this. You have to be actively employed on the payroll in order for that policy to pay. So if you go out on disability and you're not actively on payroll, that policy is not going to pay. Wow. So you could be out on disability and God forbid something happens, you pass away, you don't get that extra money. Your family doesn't get that extra money because you're technically not on the books. Correct. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) So the, the other part is, you know, most of the time it's not transferable. So if you leave, it don't leave with you. And if you're uninsurable, then it's going to be a a challenge for you to get insurance, you know, and it may cost you, may become rated, right? Where you're going to pay an extra premium um, to be protected. In episode two, The Root of Everything Enlightening, I interview the fabulous author, Scott Alexander Hess. We talk about everything from cancel culture, forbidden love, and writing techniques. Take a listen. Thank you so much for joining us today. And love the glasses, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank I'm you. thrilled to be here. I just want to tell you that this book is fabulous. Thank you. I read it in 24 hours, cover to cover. Beautiful book. Thank you. I wanted to just ask you, your novel just pulled me in. Mm-hmm. literally, I could not stop turning the page. I resonated with almost all the characters. And what I really loved about your book is it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's for forbidden love that might be LGBTQ or interracial or different social classes. This book is for everyone. It doesn't matter what your background is. And that's what I loved about it the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. What was the inspiration for this novel? Right. Well, and thank you for wearing my T-shirt. Yes. Wearing, um, which has all six of my books on it. When you buy a book, you get a T-shirt. But um, yeah, I mean, my the inspiration was a story um, from my mother who, um, bless her, she passed last year, but um, about, but actually about my father's father. So my grandfather, a little of family um, this family folklore of our grandfather 
who uh, left Germany and came with a goal when he was very young to get to the St. Louis World's Fair. St. Louis in 1904 was a much bigger, more flourishing city. And he really wanted to get over to the World's Fair. Um, and then he was going to continue on to Chicago, but he didn't. He went to the fair. He met uh, my grandmother, Emma, who's in the book, who you mm-hmm. had mentioned you love. And um, and then they that was the beginning. You know, they 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 fell in love. They got married. They had a family. So that was the germ of the, the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. And then this particular book, um, who knows how inspiration works? Once a novel starts living within me, it just kind of starts to live and breathe and move. And I live with it and it takes on a, a life of its own. So um, I, I just started getting connected to, well, what about his son? What about the next son? And I wanted three generations. So you've got the 1900s, then you've got the 50s, then you've got, mm-hmm. I took it up to about like the 80s. Um, you know, and you mentioned like it's for everybody, which um, my books always have a gay character and LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. um, storyline, but they also always have heterosexual and, and you know, a, a wide variety of, of humanity and human experience um, because that's what the world is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love when people, this book has actually gotten a slightly broader audience because I think it, um, the generations and the, the different types of people and, the, and everything feels more open to readers. But right. I had a lot of um, people reach out and none of my novels, this is my sixth book that's come out, but none of them really I always just see them as stories that happen to have one gay character, two gay characters and some straight, Mm -hmm. you know, all this sort of thing. Um, But this one has seemed to broadened out a bit where um, people are seeing it as as a novel, you know, that happens to have a variety of types. So, yeah, I went all off there on that first question. But yeah, (laughs) there it is, inspiration. And I made a note because I've got two books to finish before I get to that one. But I know once I'm there, then who knows where it will go because the characters will come to life and they'll help shape the fullness of the plot. Um, Wait a but, minute. You you write multiple books at one time? Girl, <laughs> I'm writing a book right now while we talk. <laughs> On episode three, I invited entrepreneur, health counselor, and health scientist Benita Clemens, to come on and help educate us about healthy eating and nutrition. Take a listen. We're fairly young, right? And I think it's heartbreaking that I've been losing a lot of my classmates and a lot of my friends to hypertension, which can also lead to obesity and cancer. I was actually diagnosed with high blood pressure last year. And I was very surprised because I thought I was checking all the boxes. I ate healthy. I exercise. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I decrease my salt intake. I tried to get enough rest. But when I went to my doctor, he actually increased my medicine because my pressure just wouldn't go down. Finally, I I self-diagnosed myself with uh, chronic stress. I'm like, I'm always stressed out. And I think that Black women, women of color, we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. We're empaths. We juggle work, family, kids. And my doctor finally concluded like, oh, you know what? Uh, yeah, I-, I-, I think it must be stress, even though I was telling him this over and over. Why do you think that when it comes to us being in pain and saying that we don't feel well, we're sometimes we're tuned out. 
or we're totally dismissed from our doctors. And I've been hearing about this a lot. Like they just don't listen to us. Absolutely. You gave me enough for at least five more shows, but (laughs) I'm going to say first thing is ladies, any woman who hears this, you first have to be your own doctor you have to learn and know enough about your own body first i have a medical doctor and i tell this every especially when i'm in front of her she and i do workshops together she Mm -hmm. is brilliant she is brilliant and i'm brilliant too which means she got to be real brilliant for me to go to her right right first you got to research your doctor and they have to be on it my doctor must before I went to her, I did a little research on her. She's She is a traditional doctor, but she's also holistic. She will prescribe high blood pressure medication only to help you get it down. Right. You don't want you to stroke out. But the first thing, when you were talking, I the first thing I said, stress. We underestimate and we don't talk enough about how that is the number one. This is Benita Clemens' opinion. Mm-hmm. Not scientific. <laughs> not scientific. And I have medical doctor friends. I tell them this. In my opinion, the number one reason for high blood pressure is stress, stress, stress. I don't care what nobody says, it's stress. I agree with you. You understand, unfortunately, Black women, we think we are work horses and that we're supposed to work and pile it on and pile it on. And And take care of everyone. We take care of everyone except for ourselves. You know, know, when I was in graduate school in 92, at the University of South Carolina. We had a person to come in to talk about, at the time, the University of South Carolina had the only suicide institute in the country. Mm. And a person came to speak to us and I was the only black person in the class. And he was given the statistics, white men, number one, white women, number two, black men, number three, black women. That was the only thing, unfortunately, you know, this is not good. That's, but it's not good and it's yeah. good. That was the one thing that that we were not on the top of we we at the time in 92 murdered ourselves killed ourselves committed suicide the least and they looked at me like benita why like i don't know the answer i said i don't know the answer (laughs) right let me tell you let me tell you what i think it is i said when a black woman if she want to commit suicide you know what she does she sits there and think now who gonna take care of mama who gonna take care of kids i said well you know, I said, we don't even have time to kill ourselves. Let's not make it, you know, I'm not trying to make it lighter. Exactly. Light, oh, but, man. But I said, we, we, we won't even, you know, we're thinking about everybody else. Yes. And, and he looked at me like, I said, I'm telling you. We was like, no, nah, we're not going to do this. We got, who going to take care of this? Who going to do that? Who going to do that? Because that's what we're doing. That's exactly how I think. Exactly. Like, I know that's, that's spot one. It's a way of thinking, but that's what I was thinking in the 90s. It's so true. Family Wealth Advisor Aldwin Levisor breaks down everything you need to know about estate planning. And why is estate planning almost non-existent in African-American households? What are some important things we should be doing to make sure our future generations are taken care of? We cover these topics and more. Take a listen. In the African-American community, I have to address this. We don't plan for, we, especially we don't do um, planning for estates, I would say maybe between 60 to 70% might not even have wills. There are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of myths about estate planning that I've had conversations with people in my circle. They just don't think it's necessary. And I wanted to go first ask you, why do you think that is? 
in our community where we just don't talk about it. You hear about, okay, someone passes away. Here goes the GoFundMe accounts again. So why do you think that is? So look, this is a, a, a difficult question. Uh, and on a high level, it, it, I think your statistics are, are, are right on par with the statistics that I'm aware of, right? Mm -hmm. There's like maybe 30 to 35% of African-Americans have any type of estate plan in place at all at the time of death. And there are statistics that show they're kind of old, that the absence of an estate plan in African-American communities can literally cost our communities about $2 billion yes. a year, right? So it's kind of difficult to have conversations about how do we close the wealth gap, right? Between the have and the have nots, or how do we close the wealth gaps between demographics, between black folks and white folks and other types of demographics. If within our very own households, we're, we're not positioned or prepared to render assets to the next generation. Right. And this to me is like alarming. This is like a really, really serious issue that we take very seriously at Axial, right? Because if you and I as African-Americans in the US have the highest rate of mortality to that of any other demographic in the US, right? So you name it, whether it's heart disease, cancer, diabetes, mm -hmm. you know, all other kinds of things, the popular reasons of why people die in the US maybe sans one or two exceptions, African-American males and, and females generally have the highest rate of mortality in those areas, right? So right. even though people generally tend to live longer in today's society, we still have the highest rate of mortality. And so here we are, we have the highest rate of mortality, yet the least level of preparedness. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then we transfer the least to the next generation, right? And so it's, it's a big problem. And why that is, 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 is a little bit unclear. I think a lot of it just has to do with mentality and education, like what you were saying earlier in terms of, you know, the, the discussion about death being very hard to have generally, right? That's yeah. not an easy discussion to have. Uh, and also, you know, being aware of how handling this process comprehensively could really help out your family or your next generation. Uh, I think there's an information gap about that uh, in our community as well. Um, you know, and, definitely, and think, definitely. Yeah. I, and, and thirdly, I would say, um, it, yeah, I mean, it, some of us just have the, the wrong mentality about this. I mean, this is, you know, some, some of our families think that estate planning is limited to funeral planning, right? Right, yes. When we're not just talking about who's paying for your funeral, we're talking about how can you convey assets, whether it be your personal property, whether it be real property, whether it be just information, right? information that you think that you've accumulated and come to know along the way and how can you package that information to a next generation um, so that they can leverage what you've leveraged, right? Or what you've right. come to know in life. And the irony is, is that, you know, in other contexts, right? African-American families are all about legacy, right? Yeah. When it comes to legislative movements, when it comes to 1960s civil rights movements, when it comes to present day 
civil right movements, right? There are a lot of organizations and there are a lot of leaders, even in our contemporary times, that are very serious and do really phenomenal work when it comes to building opportunities for our next generation. So legacy planning is not foreign African American. It's frankly how we survived in the U.S. Right? Yeah. It's 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 legacy planning is not it's not a foreign concept to us. I think what 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 what's necessary is bridging that focus on helping the next legacy in discussions into discussions about transfer of assets, even if we don't have much. And I think that's that's that connect that has to happen. I also think that that African-Americans think that, okay, if I have a will, that's enough. I'm all set. I have a will. Or they might think, well, I only make X amount of dollars a year. How am I going to set something up? How how much money do you need to even start thinking about things like that? I mean, you don't have to be a, a billionaire or a millionaire to, to, to put money on the side for the next generation. What, what do you think about that? People are like, oh, I only make, I, I work part time. It's not enough. I think that every penny counts. I, I think your instincts are right on point. Um, and, you know, there are many authors who write on this subject. And, and I think across the board, all of them tend to say, regardless of how much you have, um, comprehensive estate planning is critical. In episode five, Sandra Carr, owner of Patty Baby Cakes, joins us to give some important business tips about starting your own business. Take a listen. What advice can you give to uh, anyone who's looking to start their own business, their own catering business? What you cater also, right? I cater also. To yes. That's like yes. a one-stop shop. So, what do you, what advice can you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Um, you okay? Stay true to the course. Stay stay on the course. Don't don't give up. I know sometimes it looks bleak. Mm -hmm. Do not give up because as soon as like one door closes, another one opens. Mm. But let me tell you, like I I got I had COVID during the holidays, so I had to stop. I stopped baking, and I'm now getting back into it mm -hmm. because I'm I just you know I see certain things I didn't like about the business that I'm tweaking right now, and it's you always had time always to reflect. Running. Yes. You always gonna be tweaking. Trust me. You always gonna be trying to make things better. From not doing that and saying, "Boy, I got two weddings. I have a baby shower, and I have a humongous catering um, job to do next month." And all three of those the next month. That that's why I say I'm not gonna worry about um, Valentine's right now. That's why I, you know, I'm just getting myself back in because it's a real grind out there. And another thing yeah. is have your business separate from your personal. If you have money in one pocket, one is personal and the other one must go for your business. Do not put them together. Right. Have a separate bank account. Make sure that bank account is your business bank account. Make sure you get your EIN number from the IRS because at the end of the day, the IRS want their money. <laughs> yeah. And if you have do. them together, if you have them together, you could forget it. They take in wow. everything that they think that you owe them. Oh, so that's a good thing. That's why you need to have Make it sure to keep it separate. Yes. And it's easy to get a business account. Right. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of people might just be like lazy. They just like, oh, I'll just yeah. leave it in one account and I'll figure it out later. But no, you can't. Can't. That's how a lot of people get in trouble. Tax evasion. All you people yes. with those PPP loans, you better. Okay. Hello. <laughs> because they coming for you. Yeah, they are coming. They're they going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> 
So <laughs> you were saying, stay the course, don't give up. Mm-hmm. You, you may feel discouraged. Roughly, how long did it take for your business to take off where you were like, hey, I'm going places? Actually, um, it was 2008 I started and I believe like 2010, 2011. 2011, it really, my kitchen was so tiny where I was at. My mm-hmm. last apartment was so tiny. I could barely move around. It was so tiny. But once I moved to my dad's house, I had a bigger kitchen. Everything just went. I mean, even Hurricane Sandy, people were still calling me. Yeah. You know, it, it just stayed. It, it was a constant after that. After that, I would say about 2011. Yeah. So your business is based out of your home. How do you have the yeah. time to separate the two? Like, okay, family time, baking time. It's it's not easy. How do you balance it? It is not easy. <laughs> a lot in the beginning, I was up late at night, late mm-hmm. at night, and I was like, something got to give. Right. So I started on uh, scheduling, just so scheduling. If it's too big for me, I don't do it. As I try to refer people mm-hmm. out to other bakers, but like, say if I have um five cases due on Saturday, I'm starting on Tuesday. I'm getting right. the ingredients together. I, I'm freeze I bought a big old refrigerator um we freeze the cake and then they start getting um design on Thursday nights and it's mm-hmm. one two three one two three right and I work full time so I know when I yeah, come I home I gotta you. start <laughs> yeah once I get home I'm gonna start baking I'm not baking I'm gonna start decorating and things like that that is that that's a lot mm-hmm. have you ever thought about expanding to or storefront or are you businesses like it you like how the flow is going right now? Actually, no. <laughs> I don't want it in my house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I am over it being in my house right now. So I pray and I'm hoping that everything works out and mm-hmm. I can actually have my own little storefront by the end of this year. Oh, that yes. you heard it first here on Vintage Dialogue Radio. <laughs> in our final episode six of season two, Black in the Military, we were able to talk to some of our retired family members who served in the military. We took the opportunity to ask some of the tough questions about their challenges while serving, and they gave advice to the younger generation who are considering a career in the armed forces. Black in the Military, a conversation. You know, being I was born in '56, so, so coming up in the South in '56, you experience a lot of racism all over the place. Mm-hmm. But having the opportunity to travel overseas, uh, what yeah. I saw was how blacks were respected in other countries, opposed to here in America. Oh wow! That's one of the things that I experienced. It gave me a lot of uh, energy to drive, you know, continue forward. Uh, in you know pursuit of my career everybody wants to come to america everyone is like oh this is the dream and it's all wonderful and i'm like really really bro so it's funny that you bring that up that we get more respect overseas than we do at home so that was a very good point let me look can i just add to this one um being that you know being in the military then you come back out and you're in the civilian world what i find out these days the younger people, I mean, the younger people do not have that same mindset as most of the older people these days. If you go to places like you see these young people working and they, they're just like, they respect, they have the, you know, they have respect for other people, customers or, you know, other people they work with. Most of them, most of them I've seen, I've been around lately. And, and it surprised me how, how could these younger people have so much, you know, so much to give and these older people have so much envy and dream and all that hate within themselves that's what i found out lately it's like i mean it's not 
It's like the younger people are moving themselves away from that hate. My field was the infantry. Um, so those are the guys that, um, you know, if we were in the field and most times that's what it was or doing some basic training kind of thing. Um, I really, those guys are, are not there. I mean, that never came into play as far as doing your job now. Otherwise, um, that being politically and things like that, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would say that, you know, depending upon where they were from and where they grew up, they'd be a little reluctant or hesitant even, but, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, or willing to accept, but I mean, but you're in the army, it's not going to be, I mean, you can't openly refuse, you know, if I tell you to do something, I mean, it's, you do it because I said so kind of thing. Right. Well, Baron, do you feel like sometimes they respect the, the rank, and so they are more no, no, more they're not inclined to uh, well, call it, come uh, challenge you? Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, like I said, it depends on when you the, the, when I was in the army, um, and, and definitely when Uncle Ray was in the army. It's a lot different army than it is now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean it's just the, the 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 times are different. So it's almost like it's just. It's expected. It's kind of like you just deal with it anyway. Just being black, you're gonna make it through whatever you got to make it through anyway. So you just find a way um, to, um, you know, to keep going and, and, and be positive about whatever it is that you that you're doing. Do you recommend a black woman or a black man to join the armed forces? Well, I, w- I would I would say take advantage of whatever opportunities that present themselves to you. Whatever's best for you. I won't just say yeah. The go-to ha- needs to be going to the service. I would. I, mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't recommend my kids to go to the service as a prime example. But can you, can you say more about that? Well, uh, a lot of it has been from whom from whomever I see that's in charge, especially when we had people. Well, it, it's like who's who's president even, and, and you know that's always going to change. You're not going to really be in control of that. But so, the, what confidence do you have that um, that they would even be considered their life even? Um, in certain circumstances. Uncle Ray, did you want to, did you want to touch in? You served in Vietnam. How was it, how was that being a black man in a military in Vietnam? Did you feel, what I wanted to ask you is being there and having that experience, did you feel like this wasn't even our war to fight as people of color? What are, what are your thoughts on that? At the time that you're there, you don't even think of such thing. You just try to survive, get back home. This concludes the best of season two of Ventures Dialogue Radio. Stay tuned because next week I'm going to be dropping the best of season three. If you want to listen to the full episodes, it's available on every place that you listen to your podcast. If this is your first time joining, welcome to Vintage Dialogue Radio, and thank you for listening. And if you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss a thing. What topics do you want to talk about in the future? I'm sure you have plenty of questions for my guests. So don't forget to drop a comment, ask a question, and leave a review. You never know, I could actually call upon you to be a special guest on my show. All of the information about this episode is in the description box, along with an email and links to my blog, website, and more. Thanks again for joining. Until next time.